Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. To be with you today, uh, I feel right at home. You don't, you don't worry about it. I just feel right at home. Uh, this man makes you feel at home. Brother and Sister Gleason are the most awesome people in the world. And uh, that's your pastor. And their hospitality is, is marvelous. And I thank them so much. And I thank you. It's a wonderful privilege for me to be here. And uh, I have a few moments. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about uh, something today that I felt a rather an urge to, to speak to you about. I've been there. I've been on various occasions where you are in the midst of a building program and I know exactly what it's like I, I brother Gleason's heard me say this but I pastored one church for 30 years I was actually associate pastor for 11 years preceding the 30 so I have invested I can tell you when I look over those audiences on Sunday just about when any everybody out there either joined the church, moved to the city, or was born again. Now, there's just a handful that I can say that about. I've dedicated m many of them when they were little babies. So, uh, but out of the 30 years of pastoring, I spent 23 and a half years in a building program. That's right. Uh, I was either building uh, a sanctuary, a dormitory, an administrative building, an educational annex, a family life center. Uh, I've lived most of my life with a spiritual hammer in my hand. <laughs> and uh, there's something thrilling about it. There's something very challenging about it. There's something God will do for every church and every group of people that has the courage to step forward. And one of those things is when Solomon spoke and said, where there is no vision, the people perish. One of the says, my people die for lack of vision. So vision is essential, and that's what you have. So last night when I arrived, your pastor drove me up on the, well, he drove me up the road. <laughs> the gate was locked, but that didn't stop him. He just drove me. I thought we were going to go sideways for a while, and it was my side that was going under. <laughs> but uh, we drove right up to the top and looked at that marvel. Oh, I could feel the old spirit coming back on me, just driving across there, all that excavational work out there going on. Well, brothers and sisters, let me just say, you have one of the most incredible sites that I've ever looked on to build a church. It is the whole city, everybody that passes that way. They cannot help but see that beautiful edifice. And, and I know you have a master plan over the years. But I just thank God that he blessed you with that property. And every morning you wake up, you ought to thank God for it. 
because I can, and you probably have, but I can tell you how difficult it is to find the right piece of property. And you know that because you looked around, but I remember appointing a group to go out and look. And they looked at 60 some pieces of property before we found the one we could use. And uh, I'll get into that. Um, allow me, I, I've had you stand. Let me just read a passage of scripture found in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 6 and, and verse 15. Uh, Nehemiah was a builder. He was a visionary. He had powerful emotions. He was a true example of faith. And God blessed him. Verse 15, so the wall was finished in the 20th and 5th day of the month of Elah, in 15 and t in 50 and 2 days. And uh, that's enough. You can be seated. God bless you. 52 days, the walls were completed. Everybody say 52 days. You must remember that those were majestic, powerful walls. Um, I'm, before, before we get into any personal references here, I would just like to say that Nehemiah had been carried away as a child, actually, a young boy in chains as a slave. He was carried away into a, the land of Persia. The king was Artaxerxes, who served as monarch over Persia. And it is highly unlikely that a slave would rise to a position of prominence such as Nehemiah experienced. Somebody said, well, what was his uh, label or position? It was cupbearer. And somebody else said, well, that's a chef. And what's so important about being a chef? Well, it was much more important than just being a chef. The cupbearer perhaps stood between the king and his death more than any, even the armor bearer. More monarchs were destroyed by poison than ever by arrow, sword, or spear. And it was the cupbearer's position, responsibility, job criteria to serve the monarch, lived in the palace. It was not a one day a week, it was a daily responsibility. And he stood before the king, found favor. He rose from a slave to prominence. He lived in the palace, literally lived in the palace, and served the king. So he had found favor. He had risen to prominence. He now had great security. He had been carried away, as many other Hebrews, into captivity, but now he had found favor. Sometimes people, churches, even ministers, all of us, we find ourselves so blessed of God that we forget where we come from. God raises us from obscurity. If we all reflect back over our lives and reminisce somewhat, we will see how far God has brought us. And then sometimes I see those that I pastored that did not have the patience and 
tender compassion for others that had been bestowed upon them because they forgot where they come from. But uh, Nehemiah had a tenderness about him. In fact, he was in this very secure position one day when he had some company, visitors, come to visit him. It was actually a distant kin of his, whose name was Hanani. And Hanani came by with several others, and, and they stopped at the palace, and they inquired as to where Nehemiah lived, and they were ushered in, and Nehemiah invited him, them into his quarters. And the first thing the scripture says in the book of Nehemiah, he inquired as to the state of Jerusalem and of his family, friends, and the people there. And this was the report that was given him when he inquired. He, they said, Hananiah actually said, the walls are broken down. And, and, and the gates are burned to cinder. And the enemy intrudes in and out without any re restriction. And they abuse the elderly. And your people are in grave jeopardy. And after Hannah and I left, this is what happened. And this is what has to happen to any group of people that impact the world. Vision. He said, when I thought of the walls, how did he think? He remembered, and there was an image, a picture. He remembered those walls that were a fortress are now crumbled and broken down. And he could see the enemy coming in, and he said, when I thought of it and meditated upon it, I wept. First, before any people can impact or do a great thing for God, their emotions must be stirred. I wouldn't give you a dime for a person that cannot be stirred and moved with compassion. And his emotions were stirred, and he wept, and then he said, I fasted and prayed certain days, which was seven, actually. And he fasted, and he prayed, and he wept, and he was moved, and, and he mourned over the plight that his people were facing, and he, from that condition, that mourning, that weeping, the trauma that affected his whole being, he stepped into the presence of the king to serve him. And this is how God works. And I want to tell you, when God is in something, he will work. You don't have to move God. You just have to get close to God. And, and, and the king looked at him and said, uh, Nehemiah, thou art sick. Not physically, but your spirit is sick. That's what it says. Something's wrong. Tell me what it is. You know, God has a way of opening doors. And uh, Nehemiah never even had to request an audience with the king. It was just God was working. But fasting and prayer, and I'm not going to get into that subject, but fasting and prayer can move monuments, mountains. And we are not beyond that today. The church needs to come back, I'm telling you, to old-fashioned fasting and prayer. You cannot have an old-fashioned revival where people's lives are transformed by the power of God on mere emotionalism. But old-fashioned revivals come when the church really moves into the realm of fasting and prayer. 
It worked years ago. It worked in Bible times of the Old Testament with our patriarchs. It worked in the New Testament with our apostles, and, 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 it, and it works today. And so the prayer and the fasting moved the king, and, and, and he said, what's the problem? And the Bible says that Nehemiah told him everything. He said, I had a visitor, and Nehemiah, Hannah and I come by, and he was a distant kin, and he told me of the plight of my people and that the walls were broken down. And when he finished the whole story, the king said, well, what do you want to do about it? And he said, well, I'm, I don't know. You know, sometimes we get stirred, but we don't want to be the one to do it. We want to see a new church up there on the mountain. You'll have to forgive me. I don't know very many of you today. So what I say is unbiased. But we want the new church, but we want somebody else to give. We want the new church, but somebody else can do the sacrificing. We want the new church, but just let it happen, God, some way. The prayers of the pastor, but he never seemed to answer them. It's a fact. And I could not, I had, when we, when we were involved in the giving and the sacrificial giving to build churches and buildings, I was in the very dead middle of it with everybody else. I know your pastor is, and I know you know that. But it's the unity is what really builds a church. I used to, I used to pray the church grew rapidly in Stockton. I may be able to share some of that. The time gets away here, but um, in Stockton, after we got into our building, and it grew rapidly. I used to, when I first went there, I used to pray, God, I don't believe there should be a, you'll have to pardon this, I'm not preaching against anybody. I'm just saying, I don't believe there should be a Methodist, a Baptist, any, any kind of a church, a church of God or anybody that should be larger than the Jesus name church. I believe that. I still believe that. Don't you believe this is it? We love this truth, don't we? And I'll tell you something else. God has given us a great open door of hunger in this world. And people are really hungry for reality. And anyone that lifts Jesus up is going to have a powerful, powerful service and a powerful, powerful church. And so... He said, I'll pray some more, and he did, and he come back in, in a week or so, and, and this time the queen was sitting with the king, and, and the king said, have you made up your mind? He said, yes. He said, I want to go. And the king said, I will release you. Now, that's God working. He was a slave, remember. He was not just an employee. He was a slave. He said, I will release you, but I'll go beyond releasing you. I will send masons along with you that can lay the stone and the rock to rebuild the wall. I will send material with you so you can do the job, and I will give you letters of authorization to the governors of territory that you pass through where you can cut the cedar down to rebuild the gates. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is this. When God calls you to do a job, he will equip you to do that job church he's going to equip you hallelujah he's going to bless you that's the wonderful thing about god so when nehemiah left he left with material he left with the a, a competent leadership a capable men skilled leadership and authority uh, letters of authority but when he arrived 
he did not just walk out and tell the people, you know, we're, we're, I'm here and this is going to happen. He just walked around, the Bible said, for three nights and he looked at those broken walls and he prayed. And then the on the third time around, he called the people together, the Bible said, and he gave them his testimony. There is nothing more powerful than a church's testimony. This is what God has done for us. When everybody looks at that hill up there in that building, they're going to say, look what the Lord's done for them. And you're going to say, isn't the Lord great? And we're going to give him all the glory. It's not what I have built. It's what he has provided through us. That's the way it works. And so... When, as he began to give the testimony of Hanani's visit and his presence before the king and the king giving him all this help and releasing him, the people begin to cry in unison, let us arise and build. Before you can ever do anything great for God, there has to be the unity. The people have to say, let's do it. Let's do it. Now, uh, I think it's wonderful because I read to you where the walls were literally built in 52 days. That is, that is an unbelievable fate. Even the enemy, if you read on, even the enemy was discouraged over the fact that God was with Nehemiah. And I love it when the devil gets discouraged. I love it when the enemy gets discouraged because they can see the hand of God upon his church and upon his people. And it's wonderful to know just, just to have that blessing of the Lord. And they built those walls and they unified, but not without opposition. Now, as far as I know, you probably haven't had any opposition here. But we, uh, I can tell by that smile on your face that everything's went very peacefully. But immediately when they started building these walls, the first thing, the enemy, the opposition, got folks all stirred up to say that it wasn't good enough. That a fox, literally, could run through the wall and break it down. Now, you know it's amazing how there's always people that when you get in and finally start doing something for God, they always know a better way. But you never heard anything of them when the need was there. It's, it could be better if we did this, better if we did that, better if he did this, better if he did that. Those kind of people are worthless. They'll never amount to anything. I pray they'll get saved. I had some of those to deal with. But Nehemiah, the workers said, what do we do, Nehemiah? He said, you go right on and build those walls, and don't you listen to that kind of trash. And they built the walls. And then the enemy hired the Samaritan army to come out, and they flashed their swords in the sunlight. And their shields and their spears and said, we're going to fight with you. And they, the people, the workers said, what do we do? What I'm attempting to show you is anytime we attempt to do something great for God, there will be opposition. But do you come off the wall? Do you stop building? Do you throw your dream away? No. You have greater perseverance than ever before. God called us to do this. This is not me. This is him. And if it's him, he's going to see us through. And so Nehemiah said, yes, you, they're threatening. That's true, but you don't stop building. Just keep a sword handy. Use the trowel. Mix the mortar. Lay the stone. 
but keep on. Be ready if they come. They didn't want to fight. They just wanted to talk. You will go through different phases and stages of opposition when you're doing something for God. The first um, uh, building program, and I, I told Brother, our pastor, I said, I don't want to get too far out here in, in talking about building programs, but you'll have to understand uh, the work in Stockton has been there many, many years. And um, my first experience was as associate pastor with my father, and since we had a Bible college, and his, most of his energy and time was spent in that college, it fell my lot uh, to give direction and help to lead the church more. And uh, we, just, we sold a building that he had built in 1948 on Harding Way, 1700s Harding, seated almost 250 in that building. And I, as a boy, I remember that building filling up and being full. I believe this. I want you to hear this. Your faith is embodied in every nail and every yard of concrete and every piece of rebar in that building. And the dimensions that that building is laid out in speaks your faith. Because you probably have some folks that are saying, why are you building it so big? Because our God is so big. Bible said one waters, one plants. Who gives the increase anyway? God gives the increase. And you have to demonstrate your faith. So what's going on up there on the mountain or the hill out there is a demonstration of your faith. And you wait and see. When you move in that building, uh, after a year or so, you're going to say, hmm, where'd all these people come from? It'll work. And, um, and, and it's going to be full. Now, um, I remember we sold that building, and this was in the old days. That's 1961. A lot of you wasn't born then. I was around. I was in my early 20s, like 23 years old. And I was having to lead my first building program. And we didn't have any money. That's not a problem here, I know. But we didn't. So you know what we did? We wrecked. They, they was taking, dis, dis, uh, taking an uh, 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 army base down. We wrecked a couple of barrack buildings. And we brought, I remember working over there and men coming and boys coming and we were pulling nails and bringing the two by fours and the two by sixes down and, and even the toilet fixtures and the heaters. Now it seems ridiculous today, but we took and tore those two-story army barrack buildings down and packed them and brought them on a truck every week, more lumber, lumber, until we had it all stacked and we used that lumber to build that church. And we sold, this I remember, but Pastor Gleason, we sold that church and had to get out of it like in May, the last of May. So we used the dining hall, because school was out about the same week. We moved into the dining hall and set it up and used it for a church. 
But the men had to work every night and all day. Of course, we, didn't, we, we only could hire one man, and everybody else was volunteers. And I know there were many days that my father and myself that summer worked by ourselves with a man that had been burnt badly and a great contractor, but he would burnt and was supposed to die. And that we got him out of the hospital, out of the, the ward where he was in, had been in this ward healing. They had about 12 or 13 skin grafts. He could not work. He sat on a box and told us what to do. I said, I don't mind the work. Tell me what to do so I won't have to do it over so many times. When these inspectors come out, he sat there and told us how to build that building. And that building was built in... Uh, this is the unbelievable part. From May, I remember on the 10th of June, we poured the slab. It took that long to get all the plumbing and steel, and that building started going up. We had some friends come and help us. God would even send, we were building it, sinners along, but we're builders, and they'd drive by, and they I remember one day I was trying to put some trusses on a, a wing, and here come a guy that I went to school with, and that was all he did. He was a builder. And he said, you need some help? I said, absolutely. First, I didn't admit, but I didn't even know what I was doing. But I was doing what I could. He got out, brought some men over with him that were, they were fast, and they knew how to do, they had that roof on within a day. But God helped us on that main sanctuary. It was 60 foot wide. It was 120 feet long. But the sanctuary itself was 60 by 60, not counting the platform. And then it had a balcony up in there. We built a big auditorium, let me tell you. We had a balcony with, we got some old seats eventually out of a theater and recovered them. 293 seats were in the balcony. It's a big balcony. It seated 700 and some. But I remember we, I had a, a friend that was a preacher that was an electrician. I tried, got him to come help me. He walked in up there. He said, what do you want to build? Something like this for? Well, that never really crossed my mind. He thought it was just a monster. But the building was finished. When school started back in September, we moved in the building. Now, it was about, you know, it's the old days. There wasn't any carpet on the floor. They let us get by. But we were there. We were having church there. God honored our faith. God honored our vision. God honored, and I'm going to tell you, that old building filled up. People come it blessed a lot of people. Now, when I went back as pastor, at my father, I had become youth president of the United Pentecost Church, moved to St. Louis, was there two and a half years. My father then was killed in an accident, and that brought me back to Stockton to pastor that church in 1972, January of 72. I'm going to tell you something. It was an awful price. My father was just making sure it was my best friend. He was my mentor. I loved him. It was something that happened I never believed would have happened. Never dreamed it. Never even thought about something like that happening. But from the day we got back, I didn't want to go back, actually. And it took a couple months for God to really deal with me about going back. But when this is how he started dealing with me when I was in St. Louis. He started giving me a vision what he wanted to do. And I'd get these visions about a church growing and going and, and buses running and Bible studies being taught. And people coming in. I'd see all this happening. And that was God's way of talking to me. Finally, I got stirred up. And I said, 
okay, I'll go if they want me. And they had an election and they said, we want you. And we moved out. When we moved out of uh, St. Louis back, drove back, I had uh, four children at that time. And we drove back to, Saint, to Stockton, California. But from the day we moved in, it was revival, revival. We started preaching revival, reaching the lost. I told them then, we're not going to sell peanut brittle. I don't know what you do here. So uh, we're not, but uh, we're not going to sell peanut brittle. We're not going to have rummage sales. We're not going to do all that stuff. We're going to go out and catch fish with gold in their mouth and pay the bills. And that's been the practice all those years. Catch the fish with the gold in their mouth. I, most of the fish I caught didn't have much gold in their mouth. I think they used other things to fill those teeth. But they come willing. And they come ready. And God blessed the work. I remember the old building being packed. And filling up. Then I went to double sessions on Sunday. And God began to bless. And we said, we got to build. And we finally, after looking at all this land, bought 30 acres out north. And uh, God blessed us. I just don't have time to tell you everything, but finally I went to the bank and I told them I, I, I want to build this church. And I laid out the plans. They weren't finished. There was the preliminaries. And he said, well, anybody would like to do something like that. How much money you got? I said, I don't have very much. But we had the old Bible college and the old church, and it was, we paid it off. So we got some collateral. We got some property out north that we finally paid off. And I got these plans. They'll be paid off. And he said, but how much cash you got? I said, well, and I knew I had to have something. I said, I'll have 150000 He said, how much is that building going to cost you? I could tell right then the banker was as dumb as I was. He didn't know what it was going to cost, and I didn't know what it was going to cost. So I said, $600,000. Oh, boy, was I wrong. It was a 2,000-seat auditorium, so you can imagine it was going to cost a whole lot more than that, but nobody bothered to tell me what it was going to cost. But I remember that night. Now, here's the story real quickly. God, we, 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 we did build that building. And, uh, but the night I knew before I got the money from the bank, I had to have 150000 And uh, the night that I, it was a Sunday night, I built everything around it in by faith. And I stood before that church, and I began to explain what God had done for us and where we were going. And you know, there were, there were, some, there were a few people that had, not, there wasn't anybody really wealthy, but there were people that had been somewhat blessed. But it wasn't those people that stood that night. It was the people that I had won to the Lord, the druggies, the alcoholics. The people that had lived on welfare half their life, but now they come to Jesus and they said, we're going to do things different. And they started standing and they said, Brother Haney, I don't know where we'll get it, but somehow we're going to get 2,000 together. And we're going to get 3,000. And when I finished that night, I had 150,000 commitments. And within like uh, 30 days to 60 days, it was in the bank. And the banker put up his part, and we started building. Now, I don't, I don't have time to tell you that I run out of money five times. But we had more 
the bank had enough in it that they couldn't stop at the end until it was done. But as we, we built that building, Harold Lankford was the contractor, a terrific contractor in our church, and he poured his life into it with people. We, we hired about seven, eight people, and we worked and worked, and it took approximately, I'm thinking, 18 months to finish that building. It was a beautiful building. It seated 2,000, but when we moved in it, the revival kept going. And I can tell you within three years to four years, we filled the balcony. It embodied our faith. It was a commitment. It was sacrifice. And, and God, people gave. People sacrificed. But I can tell you, I remember walking through the car lot. I'm having a flashback right now. Walking through the car lot, and it looked like a wrecking yard when I first got there. I walked through that parking lot with my dream in one, one side of my head and looked at what was in my parking lot. And I thought, God, I'm never going to get there. I mean, they were just like almost, you know, wrecks, many of them. But after they sacrificed and give, and I remember moving in, I took a walk, stroll through the new parking lot, and it looked like a totally new congregation. Because I knew that God was, you cannot outgive God. He gave them more back, better homes, better cars. He blessed their families. I can't explain it. But it's God's mathematics, not mine. And he blesses those that sacrifice. And the revival came. And of course, I can tell you that about services where I remember uh, one service, Pastor Gleason just allowed me to say and share with you these, these experiences where we, I said, you know, they're having all these great revivals overseas. Why can't we have a Holy Ghost revival here? So I organized the church. Now, that was on West Lane. And uh, that was the 2,000-seater. And we organized teams. And I said, we're going to bring Brother Cole. He goes to the Ethiopia and we'll bring him out here. And I organized the whole church in teams. They all, they would take pews. And I said, now, you teach home Bible studies to everybody and have your candidates ready for the Holy Ghost. We're going to, that building that night, that would, took them about two months to do that. That building was jammed. Billy Cole come. I had a goal in mind of 500 that God would fill the Holy Ghost in one night. We didn't make 500, but 385 received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in one service. What I'm trying to show you, if there's vision, God can do anything. And of course, that church has went on, and uh, they realized they were full there, and we began another building program. Finding property was a key thing, which, but we found acreage right on interstate. It's there today. They moved in it almost, well, they moved in it about a year ago. I'd already been gone, but it, that building program, if you think you're in a long one, that building program took six years, and we never stopped working. The only day they closed down was Sunday, and those people gave and gave and sacrificed. I can tell you about a, a young man, that Daryl Siebel, that was my right-hand man. When we wanted to build it, we had radio stations. We ended up, we have about, they have about 18 stations today. A network, 24 hours a day. 
he worked with me. It was part of his dream. But Darrell was a builder, but he didn't have any money. We needed a building to put our radio stations in, the studios and everything. And he's come to me one day, and we begin preaching faith. You know, I just believe that if you step out by faith, God honors it, and he gives back. And Darrell come to me one day, and he said, Brother I'm going to build the building. He said, I only have $5,000 in the account. But he said, I just finished this building a year ago. I finished it. I built the same building for a doctor, Dr. Hand, in the city. And it was a beautiful building, 11,000 square feet. He said, I'm going to build that. And he started in with that $5,000. And he said, I took the Lord. as Jesus is my partner. Every place, everything, I, every, I'm going to build buildings. Up. And he started getting work like you couldn't believe. Chevron stations. Chevron was large in California. He, he got a contract within six months to build all the Chevron stations in Northern California. And he built that building. And Darrell was a prayer warrior. We had five o'clock prayer every morning. He was there like clockwork. The building was all but finished. The carpet was not in. He had paid for the whole thing. He was there at prayer meeting that morning. He said, I got to fly down to Bakersfield. Darrell never made it back. His plane went down on the way. But he's got rewards in heaven. He built the building. People in the city that were not even members of the church that were so moved by the radio station, they said, this man's life was a living testimony. We needed about, I think, 45000 to finish it up. They gave the 45000 outside of the church. A testimony. God can use anybody. I had men that were saved after that or moved there after that that became great givers to the work of God in Stockton, and they said, we never met him, but we heard the testimony of Daryl Siebel. And if he can do it, we can do it. They just moved in a beautiful church, 100,000 square feet, the sanctuary, and the lobby. Seat 6,000. I was invited back to dedicate it last January. It was full that night. I'm just telling you, Despise not the day of small things, but look where God's taken you. You're embarked on something great. There is no limit. My God has inexhaustible supplies, but we must release our faith to believe God to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we're able to even ask or think. I, there's so many other things I could share with you. It wasn't easy. It was hard. Was you criticized? Yes. Did you stumble? Certainly. Did you wish you'd done some things different? Many times. But I never, ever wished I'd done less. Maybe a different way. Because I found out that God honors your faith. And you can't outgive to God. Church, what I witnessed last night on the mountain thrilled my soul. You're going to see that building built and filled and revival's coming. It's going to be the talk of the city. 52 days, God can do anything. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Would you stand with me for just a moment as pastor's coming? I'd like to just pray for you today. 
I'd like to pray for your building program. Do you feel faith? If you feel faith, raise, wave, your, wave your hand. Raise it, wave it. Say, I feel faith. You believe God's going to do great things for you. You believe he's the engineer. He is the source, not man. God is the source. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to open the windows of heaven for this people, to bless this church and this pastor. Oh, God, bless us with souls. That is the heritage. Bless us with revival. But, Father, the building, the warehouse to handle the souls of men, help us to erect it for your glory and provide every need, Lord, through every crisis that we walk through. And we will give you the glory and the praise in the wonderful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Clap your hands unto the Lord because he is the source. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.